Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today we are in episode 91. It is August 15th. My name is Tyler and of course, as always, I am joined by my co-hosts starting with Nick today. Nick and Pratik. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm doing great today. Excited to hear more about the raid. Excited to hear about uh, Liz Cheney getting thrown out of the Republican Party. It's a new guard. It's a new time. Pratik, what's going on? Nothing much. I'm I'm excited about doing another show. This FBI raid thing has like blown up my phone for the last few days. It's like there's a group me chat going on. It's just like FBI raid story one. Is Trump guilty? Is Trump innocent? We don't know, but that's why we got a show. So Exactly. That's why you're here, folks. And today we're gonna be kicking it off with that hot story. Of course, we got Trump uh, being raided by the FBI. So, Pratik, what, what's been updated since the last week, last time we spoke to the audience? So, obviously, it's got a little bit more heated. The FBI takes 11 sets of classified material from Trump's Mar-a-Lago home and also digs through some toilets because they believe he hid stuff there because he likes to throw things in the toilet. If any of these material includes nuclear-related materials, such as nuclear codes or nuclear plans that was found from the 11 sets of classified material in his home, this could potentially be damaging to Trump's future re-election bid and could land him some prison time. Trump claims FBI agents have also taken three of his passports during the Mar-a-Lago Mar raid. And they, because he says that they're searching for an assault on a political opponent. So, obviously... This is one of those things where we don't really know much of what's going on. Um, the FBI is doing a bunch of stuff. They're uncovering a bunch of things. Again, we would have known about something more substantial and more detail if there was something that was that big. Attorney General Merrick Garland also came out. He was accused by um, a lot of people that were skeptical of the raid about him just doing this as a political exploit. And Merrick Garland took offense to that and had like this big old rant about how offended he was. Just like Trump's offended, but when Merrick Garland's offended, it's so it's bad because you know he's Attorney General, great guy. So what would happen is the big question here. So I was trying to make this limited in terms of bias, but there is some bias that's going to be played by both sides because it's one of those things where we really don't know all the details. So all of this story is going to be kind of opinionated because all we know is they found some material. We don't really know the contents of the material. It could be damaging to him. It could be neutral. It could be nothing. It could be a nothing burger like Tyler calls it. But it's one of those things where if there is something that is really that bad and that confidential, if he took it to his home, then he is breaking the law and they could have a lot of severe consequences. But we need to see. So our main question here is what would happen if Trump gets banned from, Trump, from running again? Or if Trump gets thrown in jail? What would be the outcome? What would this outcome be terrible for the country? What are y'all's thoughts? And obviously, it's going to be kind of an opinion because Trump is still the candidate probably running for president. It hasn't, he hasn't been banned yet. But if he gets banned, Trump says it himself, things are going to get ugly. So let's see. What are y'all's thoughts on this situation? Well, he's not wrong. And quite frankly, I don't think either side should be hoping that Trump did something terribly wrong and that he actually gets sent to jail. I mean, we've heard about more threats about against law enforcement nowadays with how much power and say Trump still has in politics. It would be so damaging to everyone should anything come out of him being doing something that could warrant jail time because going to that next election, he is a likely candidate for the Republicans at this point. And if he's taken off that ballot completely, his ideas won't go away. As Pratik always says, he's basically going to branch off and create his own party. And I think that would be the catalyst. Him being sent to jail, I think a lot of his supporters would say that this was fraudulent, that he was set up, that he didn't actually commit these crimes, and they were just out to get him from the get-go because he was a political outsider trying to drain the swamp. And ultimately, it's like, no matter what happens, someone's going to look terribly bad. So let's say nothing happens. Let's say no documents proved any wrongdoing by Trump. The FBI looks terrible. Democrats looks te look terrible. Garland looks terrible. But on the other hand, if something does come out that he did something wrong, uh, oh, sure, Trump looks bad. Uh, but ultimately, we're all going to suffer for that. And the division in this country is just going to increase. But I will say at this point, 
given it's been a little over a week, typically around this time, we would see some sort of leak if there was something terribly wrong that they had found. And that's that's not based off anything that I know personally. It's just more of um, I what, what I've seen. So when these things are around for like a week or two, someone usually goes to the media and says, hey, something could be up here and something gets leaked. But we haven't seen that yet, which tells me they haven't found anything too, too damning. Um, Nick, what are your thoughts on this situation? I think it's ironic that the party that is all in favor of law and order and holding corrupt officials accountable would turn a blind eye to any misdeeds and misdoings by this former president. I totally agree with Tyler that I think if they were to actually find anything seriously damning that would land him time in prison, I think that would be a terrible thing for the country because a lot of Republicans wouldn't believe that he did everything wrong, even if there's overwhelming evidence. So I don't think there's anything positive that's going to come out of this on that front. So I hope they find nothing. On the other hand, what I do think is the bigger story, like Pratik laid out, they found five sets of documents that have um, top secret classification. One, that's TSCI. And so, you know, those could be serious. We don't know yet. However, I think the bigger thing is why not just play ball and send those documents back? At this point, he's a private citizen. He is no longer the president. It, all this stuff about him declassifying the documents, total garbage. He's a private citizen. Send the documents back. They're not yours to keep. So I think this all could have been avoided. And honestly, I think the FBI probably has been back channeling this for quite some time. And I doubt the Trump organization has wanted to play ball with him. So I think he's just being stubborn. And like we talked about on the show, this is good press for him, to be honest. Sure, the Democrats are going to think, oh, Trump, he's corrupt. He's definitely got something on him. There, there's something afoot here. I don't think it's that. I think he's just a lazy coward and he's not sending him back. And I think that's all it is. Maybe there was something minor that he did where they're like, oh man, we don't want to send these documents over. But like, it, this is really being blown way out of proportion. And I don't see this ending well for anyone really. And to all your points on the last show, I do think he's going to run again and use this kind of as momentum, almost like he's being persecuted by this big bureaucratic swamp that still exists. And he's the only one that can save the country. So you need to elect him again, which is total garbage, but that's how he's going to sell it. I don't know, Pratik, any rebuttals? Well, well hold on. You, you said it wasn't going to end well for anyone, but I think right after you basically said that Trump could gain a lot from this because PR-wise, if they don't find anything, he's only going to get more support from that. He's only going to be uh, more of a political force coming in those next elections. Pratik? So you, Nick called him a lazy coward. But I think you might be a lazy genius. You never know. What if this kind of stuff actually does propel him to the presidency? But the main thing here is that if there is any foul play, it could be really bad. And the reason why I'm saying it could be really bad is I'm looking at it from the negative outcomes. The negative outcomes of this can be really huge. Just imagine if this kind of stuff actually happened and Trump was thrown in jail or if Trump was basically banned from running from office, for office, there will be a split in the Republican Party. That's one outcome. That's the best outcome. There would be a split in the Republican Party. There would be two parties that emerge from it. You'd have a MAGA party and the Republican Party. And a lot of Republicans that are currently in office will probably change their affiliations to be a part of the MAGA party. And from all the current, you know, hype that has happened in the GOP primaries where everybody Trump's endorsing is currently winning, a lot of those people will be MAGA candidates. That's a good outcome where there's nothing violent that happens. Then comes the violent outcomes. Democrats are all freaked out about January 6th being one of the worst tragedies that's ever happened in the country. Just imagine, like, what would happen if you banned Trump from running or if you threw Trump in jail? Like, I don't know what could happen. The next riot you could see could be on the White House. And the thing is, it's probably just going to be regular people that are just pissed off that you threw Trump in jail. But then there's going to be a big media outrage. You're going to call it a terrorist attack. And all that stuff is just going to make it even worse for the stability of our country. Just imagine you're calling a whole party of the country, a party in the country that basically makes up the other half of the country a bunch of racist terrorists. Like, it's not a good well, look for anybody they've done that for a long time now the problem is it might actually come to where they there are terrorist acts committed because people are so Angry. enraged by what's happened to trump 
Like they don't think the legal process has worked for Trump. They think it's at, the whole system's actively working against him. And you have such a sizable portion of people that believe that, that there could be violent outcomes. And no one wants to see that. But you're right. That's something to be, if you think January 6th is bad, you have another thing coming if you're, if, if there's actually uh, Trump being charged and in this case. That's my point here is that I don't think anything that can come from this classified material is worth that risk. I could care less if Trump is the candidate or not, but I don't want our country torn into shreds because, you know, these people on the other side decided that they're going to look through all his toilets to try to find as much information as they can about him. Like, I get it. It sounds great on paper. For Democrats, they really think they're getting somewhere, whether it's January 6th or this thing. And maybe they're onto something. Maybe Trump has committed some criminal activity. Maybe Trump is, like, like you know, guilty of all the crimes that he's been accused of. He has, like, 20-some lawsuits on him. Trump might be guilty in all those lawsuits. We don't know. But my point is that is that risk that you're taking in terms of like creating so much political instability, is that a good thing? And I don't think so. Whether or not, like, I actually think we're just bringing Trump into the limelight more and more. So all that's doing is it's just riling up the GOP base. And all that's doing is basically eliminating even a primary from happening even before it begins. Ever since January 6th has started their trials, all it's done is propel Trump back into the limelight. If people thought Trump was out of the picture, well, Trump's like in the head of the, is like the face of the picture now. Like he is like the main guy. And I don't think that some of, I think some of this stuff and some of these outcomes really need to be looked at because I am kind of worried, like if you ban Trump, what could be the outcome? And I don't want to know what the outcome is. And I would hope that it's as something positive, something like re realistic and slow as, oh, well, we're just going to have a two-party system, three-party system, and then we might have Democrats break up and create another party for the progressives. That could be like the greatest thing ever. But I don't really see that as being like the best outcome. Because I think that there's a lot of potential outcomes that can happen from this. And the a lot of the negative outcomes are much worse. And I don't want to even imagine what could, that could be. Because if we were freaked out about what happened in January 6th and Russian elections and whatever happened with their protest and not my president and all that stuff, that's all of like minor, like, you know, that's like a one at a one to 10 scale compared to what this could be if something like this really broke out and happened. Because I wouldn't want to be on the side of throwing Trump in jail. But, like, let's play devil's advocate here as well. They knew the, the political risk of going through with this and actually going to his place in Mar-a-Lago. So that means they must have thought that there was something real they could find. And they only did it because they had to. In order to preserve justice and no one being above the law, they actually had to go about and do this search. And that could be the case. We don't really have enough information either way, one way or the other. Um, but bringing it back to what you said before, um, you said that uh, Trump was a lazy genius in that all this was according to plan to get PR to go to the next election. Can you imagine Trump a year ago going, all right, guys, so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take these documents, not giving them back. These are my documents. They're going to have to take them from me. And when they do, I'm going to win the PR war and storm back into politics and take my victory in 2024. I think that's pretty unlikely, Pratik. I don't think that in any way, shape, or form happened, but I think he's responding to it the best he could in terms of getting publicity, getting people on his side, etc. It's going to be really interesting, the fallout of this, because this is a major political event um, that will have ramifications for years to come. Yeah, I, I just think that it's one of those. That I don't really know what's going to be the outcome. I just think that we just have to be wary about it. I don't know if they will recover anything if they do okay but if they don't the cost of them not recovering something is as bad as you banning trump because for the democrats that's a major loss but for democrats it doesn't really matter those guys like to do any new thing that they can to throw on trump and that's like the new news story you read any of the news stories it's always some negative news story on trump if some gop candidate wins in his primary because trump endorsed him endorsed him he's automatically an election lie candidate that literally only won because of trump's election lies in january like you're like what does that have anything to do with anything but that's the news stories right now and that's my point is that we need you're to figure that out. You're absolutely right, but no one's mind is being changed from these news articles anymore. Yeah. If you did not like Trump a year ago, what could possibly be said today that's going to make you flip But I'm just, I just, I'm just looking at happening. it as a form so of So this coverage is major. kind of irrelevant at this point. People are so accustomed to Trump being beaten down on the media. If you like Trump, you don't trust the media. 
If you don't like Trump, look at the media. They're confirming my bias, so I'm going to go along with them. We've seen that time and time again, but you're absolutely right. It's it's totally one-sided. We have an article later. We don't really have a Biden gaffe, but there's a really funny article written about Biden, about how he's a great president and he turned things around. Like, you do see that bias for sure, um, but I just don't think people are being swayed at this point by it. Yeah, I, I, just, I just think that we need to analyze this stuff further, and I don't think we should, any of us should come to our opinions. Like, we all have our own opinions about, oh, what is all this stuff that happened and yeah if we really think about it like the latter outcomes and stuff it could be really bad so we just have to see what happens from this stuff like everybody jumps to their conclusions about what happened like most people automatically assumed oh trump is guilty this definitely happened because you know trump trump's a maniac he's a terrible person yada 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 we read all these news stories that all back us back up our opinions so trump's terrible and he definitely did this thing and then on the flip side you're you're like, oh, this is a witch hunt. These people are going after Trump. Everything that Trump does, it's like a news story for these people. They just want to shut him down. He has 20-some lawsuits. It's just adding. They're just trying to prevent him from running for president. And we all have our opinions about this. Like, I'm a Republican. The Republicans believe the second thing that we said. There's many Democrats that believe the first thing. I'm saying that that's politics. We, that's what they do. They make us all excited and riled up, and that's how they get people to go vote. That's how they get make money. And yeah, I think yeah, that we, we gotta, just have yeah. to separate ourselves so we understand both sides before we come up with a genuine conclusion about it. Because everybody has their opinions and people get all heated about their opinions. But the fact is that it's an FBI raid and the FBI is already like kind of like a hush hush organization. So until you know anything, no one knows anything. On an individual level, you're right, Pratik. But we also have to take to realize that when we engage with the media, they're trying to convince us of something immediately because whatever whatever event occurred, they're able to twist it and turn it into whatever their ideology believes. At the end of the day, um, you have to be somewhat agnostic when we don't actually have all the information. That's kind of what's going on now. Uh, but with that, I think it's probably a good time to be new moving on to our next story. Um, so we got Salman Rushdie being attacked here um, in New York State. So uh, for those you don't know, he's an author that actually had a fatwa declared on him in the late 1980s um, by Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini. So he's been an enemy of the Islamic uh, countries, a lot of his uh, very hardcore radical Islamic people for a long time. And on Monday was attacked by a 24-year-old who was radicalized a few years ago when he went to Lebanon. He was stabbed 10 times and he is he's gonna live they actually thought at first he might not but he is gonna live he's off a ventilator um, but he's definitely lost an eye and he's definitely uh, suffered greatly for this um, so this isn't a directly political story but it does touch Iran um, just the radical Islam in general um, it was stated by the media and I, I believe by law enforcement that Iran didn't have specific involvement for this but like I said they declared a fatwa on him meaning he was an enemy of the Islamic State and kind of anything goes against him Iranian leaders have come out and said that they're a lot of them basically have supported the fact that he uh, was assaulted in this case so it was very unfortunate really this just speaks to a conversation we kind of had years ago where you have these radical extremists trying to dictate what you can and cannot say and I know me and Pratik kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that um, so in my opinion, I think you should be able to say what you want to say under the guise of free speech um, and that you shouldn't be uh, repressed or held down from saying certain things because religious groups are going to threaten you with violence. But I know Pratik has a different stance on that. So Pratik, what's, what are your thoughts? Well, I want to actually hear Nick's stance first and then I'll go. So I think there are a lot of parallels between what Tyler was saying about CNN's uh, analysis piece versus what's going on here, right? you have persuasive writing. What is persuasive writing trying to do? It's putting the biggest thing up front, okay? You don't bury the lead at the bottom of the story. You put the most impactful, most powerful statement right up front. And that's what Salman Rushdie did. He put all these impactful statements on. I think he wrote, what was it called? The Satanic Verses, which ended up earning him the yeah. fatwa. So I think that just goes mm -hmm. to show that you can kind of draw the parallel here where if one group of people thinks they're being victimized by what someone has written in a book, in an entirely different country across the world. Uh, they're gonna go to extreme lengths in some cases to carry out physical violence or intimidation on other levels. And I think that's one thing that could be paralleled over and what we sort of see where, uh, you know, all the sort of accusations of, oh, there's this deep state that's inherently against Trump, inherently against you as a Republican, and seeing what's been going on with some of the FBI things where, for example, the man 
died in a shootout with federal agents outside of a field office, not even in front of headquarters, not in front of Quantico, not in front of anywhere that's actually that relevant, just out front of a random field office. Another one was the man who went up to the Capitol, um, ended up shooting himself. His, I think his car was on fire um, and there was this confrontation with police there. Um, and, and it's all these supporters who think that they are being personally persecuted, that the country is going downhill and that something is going on that is a threat to their very way of life. Um, now, I'm putting a lot of my opinion in that, but I think the parallel and the segments go nicely with each other, which is that Salman Rushdie, again, it's his personal opinions about religion, what religion is the right religion. However, as we've seen time and time again, just be like having the most minute opinion about religion can still get you killed in this day and age. And it's crazy to think that a man who was born years after the fatwa was declared has been radicalized throughout his life to hate this man so much. A man who was alive well before he was born and whose writings he probably wasn't that familiar with to go ahead and stab him in public, basically talking at an old person's home. Like, really, what threat is he to you or your religion? It's kind of ridiculous. So it's not yeah. just one one quick comment critique before you jump in. Um, so he actually wrote a political fiction about Muhammad, the prophet Muhammad, and they thought it was blasphemous. So it wasn't even necessarily opinion about religion other than they depicted their prophet in a negative light. And because of that, he should die. That That's is an opinion, though, Tyler, because his opinion is that you should be able to talk about this. And if the entire religion is saying, no, you shouldn't, then... I don't know. That is political opinion. That is written opinion. And I don't know. I just I see that parallel there. But Pratik, what were you going to say? I see the dogmatism. But I just don't see it as a religious opinion. But go ahead, Pratik. So the main thing here was it also was he was a semi. So the spokesperson from Iran's foreign ministry, Nasser Kanani, came three days after Rushdie was wounded in New York State and said that he was he faced death for more than 30 years over his novel whose depiction of the prophet muhammad was seen as blasphemous so basically what y'all said but um basically at the time there was a semi-official iranian foundation that posted a bounty of over 300 3 million dollars for the killing of the author dude probably did it for money it's a potential reason why people would go assassinate somebody if you're gonna get three million dollars for doing it um but the main thing here is that we have to look at this from like in different perspective like i think we always look at this like oh religion religion you know if people get all intense about religion we need to say we need to have the right to say what we believe and yada yada i never understand some of this stuff like why did some of these authors write books that are so negative about certain religions like richard dawkins for example like how you can have your opinions i'm not gonna go argue with a christian about why their religion isn't right like, what difference does it make to me? That person's Christian. They believe what they do. Let them believe what they do. Some Muslim guy, same thing. That same logic why can't they apply. let you? Why can't they let you believe what you I agree. believe and not kill you when you have an opinion that goes but, against what they believe? I agree. But the thing is that those are extremists. There's extremists on both sides. The people that write about all this stuff because they got nothing else better to do than make money about trashing on a religion... Those are the same people on the opposite side of the extremism as these people that are willing to go kill somebody or fight with somebody about religion. Like most people that are religious are like are not angry people. They just believe what they do. Most of the time they've been brought up in a culture and because their culture believes in a certain religion, they also will believe in that religion. Now we can debate about whether God exists or whether God doesn't exist and that's a whole other debate altogether. Pratik, but- you, ju- you just equated this guy that was just stabbed 10 times to the actual terrorist doing the stabbing. I don't, that's a false well, equivalent. I'm not, I'm not equating sense. them. I'm just saying. No, but you are. Cause you said they're just, as, they're just as radical as that's just not true though. Well, like saying I'm, something I'm and using saying. physical violence are so worlds apart that they can't be, there's no equivalency there. Cause like I could be as radical as I want. God doesn't exist. Uh, your religion's stupid. All that. But I've never crossed the barrier of violence. And look at just look at the laws in our country. It's the exact same thing. Do you believe in freedom of speech? Because that's what this is upholding. It's the fact that they can't use soft power to dictate what I'm going to say by threat of violence. That's what dictators do. That that's and not that, that's the kind of tyranny I would not ever want to live under. I want people out there allowed to say this outrageous stuff because it actually protects the rest of us and our points of view and that our freedom of speech is not limited over time because people are afraid. I actually think that's one of the biggest threats against freedom of speech. People being afraid to say what they want 
because of threat of physical violence. And I'm not going to stand for that to any degree. And I, I really see no equivalency between a writer that critiques an idea and someone that goes out and kills someone else for having a belief that does not match their own. All right, I'm sold. You got me. <laughs> I give up. I was trying to play devil's advocate, and I got shut down completely. But I will say this, though. This is the kind of stuff that a lot of these countries that are autocratic end up doing. Like, Iran hasn't even necessarily, like, you know, shunned the guy that went out of his way to kill somebody because their own Ayatollah was the one that actually made it, made it like a decree to make this guy killed and get $3 million of bounty if you find him. I think there's a lot of problems with all this stuff. I think this is the same reason why all these people were really pissed off about what happened in Saudi Arabia whenever the journalist Jamal Khashoggi died. It's a very similar argument. I think in many of these autocratic, you know, terroristic, we can't even say terroristic, but autocratic and religiously theocratic centered countries, this is a problem that happens. And the fact is that this is why certain countries like ours have this freedom of speech that allows us to have the opinion to say what we want to say. On this show, just imagine how much stuff I say. There are people that are Democrats that are probably like, man, Pratik's such an idiot. I hate this guy, but I have the right to say it. Same with Nick. Some people that are Republican might be like, oh, why is Nick so much about climate change? This guy can't stop talking about water. The fact is that he has the right to say it. And then with Tyler, they're like, this dude can't miss. He just knows everything. He's right on the right side of everything. It's crazy. I don't get it. (laughs) But my point is that... I mean, that's the thing with freedom of speech. And I think that some of this stuff is really bad, especially whenever somebody's willing to murder somebody else because of their religious opinion. None of that stuff should ever be condoned. That stuff's terrible. And I think I feel really bad for this guy because he he wrote a book and then that book was misconstrued into being like some kind of anti-Islamic, you know, decks. To be fair, even if it was, it, it was a critique. Even yeah. Yeah, okay. it's a critique, but even if it was, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't call for violence. Yeah, and you can't even play devil's advocate. I just proved that. Like, you can't play devil's advocate on this stuff. Well, I I think what you could say is that something like religion is so deeply personal, so sacred, so important in some people's lives, that what? Okay, we justify killing people all over all sorts of stuff. So when it comes to the fundamental questions about God, the universe, heaven, hell, whatever... I think that's one of the most important things that people have disagreed on in the years. And I'm not surprised at all that it's led to this level of violence. Uh, and I think that's just something that can be observed and is, is very clear. So I, I don't know, not surprising. Again, like Tyler was saying, not ideal. Ideally, it would be nice to just write little pamphlets about about it, pass them back and forth, get a little you know frustrated on the internet sometimes, but never actually resort to killing someone over saying whether or not you know your religion is correct or not. I think part yeah. of it is the way you say it, but to, to your point, yeah, I think this goes well above the means of um, any sort of normal discourse that we would ever want to have. I, I think this is way too far. And just as a quick rebuttal to that, not that you held that opinion, but what I would say is the your justification, uh, your belief justifies itself in it because God exists then, but you did not prove a priori that God does exist. And that's the problem. You're not building off a foundation of knowledge. Rather, you're building off the fact that you believe something. And because of that, it doesn't make any sense. Look at what do you, wait, what was wrong with what I said, Nick? No, I saw nothing, you go, nothing's oh. wrong with what you said. I'm just uh, kind of thinking back to the parallels between the primaries and how all the a priori stuff you said, it gets tossed out the window. Oh it's like God. the big lie. First principle, Nick got all philosophical, okay. man. That's what happened. Nick was, you said your statement, and Nick went into deep thought analyzing this stuff. <laughs> and look, analyzing the manuscripts and the primary text, and like, what? what is the official thing? What does it mean to live? He was enlightened before our eyes, people. <laughs> this is just beautiful to see. But speaking of being enlightened in front of our eyes... We had elections! This is exciting. No primaries. So I have primary updates on Wisconsin, Vermont, Connecticut, and Minnesota. So this is that point where if people were bored, I'm going to try to rush through this to try to get everybody to know what happened, and then we'll move on to the regular stories. So Wisconsin first. With Trump's backing, Michels uh, wins the Wisconsin GOP primary for governor in a field of five and will face the incumbent Democratic governor, Tony Evers. His name is Tim Mitchell, by the way. While in the Senate election primary, Republican incumbent Ron Johnson will face Democrat Mandela Barnes in November. Lastly, in their attorney general race, incumbent Democrat Josh Cole 
faces Republican challenger Eric Tony in November. So that's Wisconsin. So in Connecticut, incumbent Democrat Governor Ned Lamont will face Trump-endorsed Republican Bob Stefanski in November. In Minnesota, incumbent Democrat Governor Tim Walz will face Republican Scott Jensen in November. Incumbent Democrat Attorney General Keith Ellison, on the other hand, will face Republican opponent Jim Schultz. And last but not least, in Vermont, the home of the Ben and Jerry's and Bernie Sanders, incumbent Republican Governor Phil Scott will face Democrat Brenda Siegel in November, while in the Senate, Democrat Peter Welsh will face Republican Gerald Malloy um, for the vacant Senate seat. So that's all I got. So that's the election primary updates. What are your thoughts? So Pratik, I think those are some great updates. However, um, I'm much more interested in what's happening tomorrow on Tuesday as opposed to what's already happened for the governor's races. So Liz Cheney is bracing for a huge loss as the focus shifts towards 2024. So Trump Act challenger Harriet Higman, who grew up in the state and grew up on a ranch in a town of like 219 people, is running against Cheney and has been one of the most vocal opponents or sorry, Cheney's been one of the most vocal opponents of President Trump within the party ever since she was first elected and led the charge to impeach Trump and is currently leading the January 6th committee for the Republicans. So Liz Cheney, again, is going to get crushed in her congressional race, all because she went after President Trump, former President Trump, rather, and it's just crazy to see the point difference. She's in a state where Democrats are maybe 19% of registered voters. So in terms of people switching parties, even if every single Democrat voted in favor of Liz Cheney, over her opponent, she would still lose. So I, she's down like 26 points tomorrow. It's going to be a sea change. Again, it's the old guard of Republicans. And even back in 2016, 2018, 2020, her opponent was actually in favor of Liz. However, with how far things have come in this country the past two years, um, she's going to get outprimaried by someone who's further to the right than her in a state that is very conservative already. And so I guess that's not a surprise. But Pratik Tyler. Do you think that it's a good thing overall to see Liz Cheney potentially getting thrown out of office tomorrow? Or should some of the old guards stick around, maybe? I think it's a good thing. I mean, I don't really understand why Liz Cheney is still there. The Republican Party is basically, you know, since Trump has been elected, Liz Cheney has been like the one anti-force within the Republican Party that doesn't really vote for anything that the Republicans really want. It's a similar um, anomaly to somebody like Joe Manchin in the Democratic Party, where but that's in the Senate. That's how Liz Cheney is in the Republicans for the U in the U.S. House. Generally speaking, the most of the volatility that does happen within government happens in the Senate because you only have a hundred senators. But within Republicans and Democrats in the House, they usually vote together on a lot of things. And the things that Liz Cheney hasn't supported the party on has been things that have been party line votes. And voting to impeach the president of the country is kind of dumb, especially whenever a lot of the people that vote for you or anybody within the party is voting party line and generally go vote whenever it's a president election year. I think it's one of those that it like it's kind of like a lot of people feel like she betrayed her. She betrayed their um, constituency. And Liz Cheney, I mean, will get a lot of flack because she is a member of the Republican Party. If she was a Democratic Party and member of the Democratic Party and did the same stuff, it wouldn't matter. But because she's a member of the Republican Party and the Republicans, like, especially whenever it was really important on what happened with Trump and during that election time period after January 6th, too, like a lot of that stuff kind of hurts her. And it's like the same as why many Republicans don't like Mike Pence. It's the same reason why a lot of Republicans don't care for Liz Cheney. And I think that that's just the way it is. Tyler, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, and we, we've seen really the Trump candidates winning over and over and over again. So it really is no surprise that she's likely to be ousted. Um, we're seeing that's where the Republican Party is moving to. Whether, whether they change their name or not is kind of irrelevant if the ideas and the candidates that are winning are going to be staunch Trump believers. And because of that, she doesn't really stand a chance. And I think you said uh, maybe it's a good thing to keep the old guard around. I mean, I I don't know. I don't, I don't think voters are going to buy that at all. I don't think that's a very convincing message. And because of that, I don't think she stands a chance. I think the only ones that could probably win in terms of old guards if they were to run again is probably somebody like Mitt Romney. 
just because they were a former president candidate and all that stuff. But I think all these other people that are part of the old guard, they're on their way out because they followed the name old guard and they're old. So they're trying to create the newer version of the Republican Party. Wait, as if being wins. old has been a hindrance nah, but in politics the old in the past guard, few decades. The old guard of the Republican Party, if you ask any Republican, wasn't winning anything. Like since John McCain, Mitt Romney, all that time period, that time span, the Republicans were the losing stock. Like they never got anywhere in those elections. Like regardless of whatever happened with the Obama administration, whatever the challenges they had with things like Benghazi, the Republican Guard just didn't have the backbone to win because they didn't have enough message to carry on their side, which MAGA and the new Republican side does. And I think that if the way the Republicans are looking at it is like they're cleaning out the old swamp and they're creating a new party, which is going to fight for what the new, what the Republicans believe in now. And obviously, both parties are always changing. This is like evolution of the parties. And I think that's how the party has evolved recently is MAGA ideals. And I think that that will probably change in the next 20, 10, 15 years too. But right now, the Re Republican Party of today is not the same Republican Party of George W. Bush. And it's not the same Republican Party of Mitt Romney. But in the future, that Republican Party won't be of Trump either. It's just like evolving parties i don't think there's anything wrong with it and sometimes you need to get some of these old people or some of these older mindsets of the people that are not really fighting with the party out and i think that's just the way it happens it's a little sad you know i reminisce of the days of dick cheney policy personally but you know i guess times just move on people change politics changes nick i got one thing that i think is being lost in a lot of the noise around whether or not the election was stolen you know, Hegman being endorsed by Trump, all the Liz Cheney stuff, which is that I think she's fundamentally just a good candidate. And so I think she's going to win for part, partly that reason. She's native to the mm. state. She's lived there a long time. When you look at the actual state of Wyoming, okay, something like 40% plus of state lands are federally owned. And when you look at polling of what matters to people in that state in Wyoming, it's no longer all the labor stuff that was back in the 60s and 70s. These days, it's around federal overreach into the state. So they're saying she kind of um, got her credentials as a lawyer, um, as a natural resources attorney, where she would sue the state essentially on water, public lands, and agriculture, actually sue the federal government. So she would fight against things like uh, the Endangered Species Act, uh, National Forest Conservation, all these big topics where it's essentially like, hey, the federal government's coming into our state and controlling things. We in Wyoming, which again is a very small state in terms of population, I think it's 600,000 people, 700,000 people, very small state, which is why this is the only congressional seat that's up for grabs in that state. And so I think parallel to a lot of the Trump stuff is that people on the ground are just going to trust her because she's grown up in the state. She's grown. She was, grew up on a farm, on a ranch, and she spent her entire professional career fighting against the federal government and others who have these environmental policies and forest policies that are saying, look, we're going to come in and control more of the state lands, whereas people living in the state think they should have more of a say. And that is a very reasonable stance to have. I disagree with them on a lot of what they're actually arguing against. <laughs> and in some cases, I think it actually would go to their detriment. For example, if you read around some articles and see like, why, why do we care about coal in Wyoming, for example? Why, why, is their, why is their type of coal so good? It's actually the most cost competitive because of things that are in the Clean Air Act and things in other environmental acts where it's basically like, you know, it's imposing costs on other firms in other states. And that's why people go to Wyoming for some of these things. So it, it's just a little funny to me that, you know, they've been working across purposes. I'm not saying they're dumb. I'm not saying that. I'm thinking it. I'm not saying it. But I think fundamentally <laughs> you can get behind a candidate like that who really does think, hey, we live in a state where federal overreach is so big. You know, let's cut that down a little. I'm going to go to Washington to make a difference, which as one congressional seat for a state like that, you're going to make no difference. You're not going to matter at all. But you know what? You can be loud. You can hit some pots and pans. You can be someone like a Bernie Sanders who, you know, could potentially be a swing on a vote where it's the House. It doesn't matter as much as the Senate, like Pratik said. But, you know, as far as like a national story of a new Republican wave coming or the old guard being washed away, even if it's not flipping from Democrat to Republican or Republican to Democrat, I still do think Trumpism and a lot of those ideals for MAGA Republicans, I think, you know, like it is the main news story, but I didn't want to lose those small details of what's actually going on in that state and what actually matters to people. 
and the fact that it is again a lot of the federal overreach that Trump has been talking about. So it just seemed a natural line. And with Liz, some really good points. With Liz Cheney, you also have to remember one thing though: she is the daughter of Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney was the former vice president of the United States. If there was any nepotism in politics, Liz Cheney is like the product of that nepotism. The same way somebody like you would argue George W. Bush, Jeb Bush, any of those people. Or if Chelsea Clinton was to run tomorrow, like yeah. that's a product of nepotism. Liz Cheney's the same way. Liz Cheney like was seen as being like one of the regular Republicans until Donald Trump stuff happened and the storming of the U.S. Capitol, where she basically switched places. And like in July, and she basically took like a really left turn on a lot of things. Like she somehow started siding with the Democrats more than the Republicans during the last like two years since Biden has been in office. She was like the leader in the January 6th committee where she was appointed by Nancy Pelosi because they thought that she'd do the best job at defending, you know, the arguments that they have. And um, she also called the Republicans nowadays, the Putin wing of the Republican Party is what she called the people that didn't was part of the um, opposite side that's also that's actually noted there's an msn article that said that she called it the putin wing of the gop a lot of people found offense to that plus the fact is that the reason liz cheney is there regardless of all this other stuff is that she was um, the daughter of Dick Cheney. It does play a major role because he was the vice president of the United States. And when she was elected into office, like Dick Cheney and George W. Bush were really um, a major part of the Republican Party. The Republican Party of now is different from the Republican Party of then, but the fact is that a lot of the people that were Republicans then are still Republicans now. It's not like their voter bases changed. But whenever you go out of your way to criticize the voter bases and say certain things like that, and they call, you know, and go out of your way to say certain things about the president that they elected, and the reason why she got elected is because she was on the same presidential ballot as the president, I think some of that stuff has to be taken into account. And I think that we always forget about that kind of stuff, but it is very important because the fact is that even even Democrats that are there, like your progressive, progressive leaning Democrats, the reason why a lot of those people got elected is because Joe Biden was running as president and people wanted to vote for Joe Biden. So they voted for Joe Biden and most people, 95% of the voter population votes straight ticket. So the reason why anybody is there in the Republican side and the reason why anybody is there on the Democratic side, if you look at pure population numbers, has heavily is heavily influenced by the presidential candidate that's the candidate for the party. So I just wanted to bring that in. Obviously people can yeah. disagree with me, but that's just my intake on this. And Nick was touching on the environment, how, how that might play it into it. That kind of touches on our next story regarding the Inflation Reduction Act. So Nancy Pelosi returns to the U.S. to get the Democratic economic package passed quickly throughout the House. So the House Democrats wish to accomplish their climate, tax, and health care goals with the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. As you know, we had been talking about that last week. Um, many in the U.S., though, are doubting their own impact on climate, according to a new AP North poll. Um, so do you guys think that the climate policy and the impact we have on the climate should be a higher priority for Americans or should it not be? So I know Pratik would disagree with me. I think it needs to be one of the highest priorities. I think it all comes down to, you know, is government an institution that is for long-term planning or short-term planning? I think it's both. And for something on climate, I think the long-term has to outweigh some of our short-term priorities here. So in the short-term, you would be like, okay, look, there's a war in Ukraine. There is an oil issue going on across the world. What can we do about that? And the Biden administration, to their credit, has done something on that. Okay, I, I know, for example, when gas prices went up, everyone said Joe Biden's to blame. Now that they're going down, everyone's quiet about it. But I do think that the administration, with the tools they had, did what little they could to, to try to smooth that along. Now, in terms of that's the short term, in terms of the long term, Democrats, I know Republicans would disagree, Pratik would disagree, for example, but long term, I do think we need to move towards cleaner forms of generating electricity. And clean, of course, you can get into a whole debate over, okay, well, if we're mining certain minerals in conflict-laden areas like the Congo, you know, is that really an ideal world that we should be building towards? Um, and you get into all the human rights stuff, and, and it's a whole big mess, right? But taking that out of the equation, if we're just looking at climate, what should you do for climate? You need to transition to cleaner burning fuels. And in terms of electricity production, for example, um, that would end up being solar, that would be wind, that would be some, some hydro, 
I know we've already built out a lot of hydro. We could even say nuclear, which I know Pratik would be very happy about. But I think generally we do need to shift away from oil and natural gas, basically anything that ends up having a lot of carbon in it. And so I think in the long term, government is one of the only institutions that that is actually able to do that. The only other one is large multinational corporations. And while I have faith in some of them, some of them, I don't have faith in many. So I think government, unfortunately, is where we have to place a lot of our trust. And if they don't get it right, I don't think we're going to. So that's why I'm in favor of having a climate focus in this bill. Well, I just wanted to say one thing. We talk about this stuff all the time. Like, if Democrats really focused on the environment and really cared about the environment, they'd focus on nuclear energy. It's like they have all these different types of options, and then they like to go into their diversity of plants. They can do some wind. They can do some solar, geothermal, hydropower. They got all these different options and plans. Problem is, we spend a bunch of money on all these plans every time you have a budget bill. We've spent so much money on subsidizing things like wind turbines in this bill itself. I don't think this is a practical approach because if you have something that you really want to focus on and gear towards to try to actually build towards a better climate future, maybe wait. Like cars are eventually going to become battery powered whenever batteries become a stronger thing, whenever you have more charging stations available to everybody when charging doesn't take as long and whenever car manufacturers build it themselves. The only way you're ever going to fix any of this environmental stuff is if corporations and the economy does it. The government has never been able to accomplish anything on this footing. The fact is that the only thing that they could have done is switch towards nuclear nuclear energy, and they failed on that too because they got all um, you know excited about solar panels and wind turbines. But the fact is that how many people in your country use solar panels and wind turbines? Not that many. Solar panels, sure, in some places, but I haven't really seen any wind turbines that much in America. In North Carolina especially, I've never seen a wind turbine. I think we need to look at this stuff in a practical and pragmatic approach. If you're going to fit, focus on something, maybe do more natural gas drilling. Natural gas is much cleaner for the environment, but you're going to have to go in a way where you have an actual practical approach. Democrats shoot themselves in the foot when they talk about all these own all their own policies. When you talk about wind turbines, you bring that up, and because wind turbines actually look pretty nice, I've talked about it on the show. They're like the coolest like looking thing. Particularly, when you the have wind turbines. They look nice. Yeah, but when you have wind turbines, what does it do? It kills the birds. Then you have all these environmental wackos on the opposite side my people the vegetarians that are like oh man all these birds are dying because of these windmills like what's going on like that's the thing with all these people they need to have an approach every other policy with democrats they have an opinion and they have a solution with environment they don't and that's the challenge that they've always had the reason why you have all these big old bills that pass that are going to solve a bunch of stuff on the environment and your environment looks exactly the same as it did 10 years ago is because none of their pollute solutions have any like you know sticking point to it more things have happened because of the economy that has happened because of the government or all these accords that they have the paris climate accords and all this bs that they come up with because even in places like china the people that are doing the most things to promote this environmental movement are the actual businesses and the economy surrounding around those businesses itself and you creating an infrastructure to make that happen democrats need to focus on creating more charging stations around the country they need to subsidize those gas stations where their people can have the ability to choose between gas and choose between charging stations but the thing is democrats have their beef against exxon and chevron and all this stuff which is half the problem because gas stations are readily available everywhere so if i am going to spend sixty thousand dollars to buy a car i'm going to buy a car where i'm going to easily be able to charge it and refill it and move on from one place to another and apart from tesla there really isn't any actual viable energy options on that regard so i think that's the issue democrats need a solution they need a plan and they need to stick with it if you stuck with nuclear energy like the europeans banned fracking in 2010 if they did nuclear energy back then you wouldn't have had this whole russia ukraine stuff maybe all this stuff happens because of a reason and i think that right now is the time for oil and natural gas to make their record profits because the government in power was so focused on banning them that now you realize the importance of them whenever they're in office so nick and tyler sorry went on a rant so so i know nick has much more to say on this than i do but 
just in broad terms, how I look at this, I'm a little torn. Um, I see the government as prov providing incentives, but I see as private business as being the, pretty much the only ones to come up with any sort of solutions. So I'm okay with some subsidies, but ultimately, like you were saying with like Tesla and Elon Musk, it's like, who's done more for the climate uh, every activist in every climate activist in the world or Elon Musk building a company that incentivizes hundreds of mil potentially hundreds of millions of people to be greener over time. So for me, if we're not incentivizing those kinds of people to have true real impacts, if we're hindering their business in any way, that's not a good idea. Uh, but on the other hand, I like that there can be in incentives. I like that you should be subsidized if you try to get into the space and elevate that technology. I just don't think the government is going to provide that technological solution to really have a, too much of an impact. So any sort of investment into that uh, in this bill is not something I'd necessarily agree with, but just subsidize uh, the broader energy green energy market i'm perfectly fine with that yeah and i okay so i'm surprised that tyler agreed on that because i was gonna say pratique i'm very surprised that you were so against subsidies um i'm not I, against I subsidies i'm actually gonna promote it in my next statement so continue. are you really yeah oh, because I so was what going i'm to gonna say, say is you need to subsidize car manufacturers that's your that would be my solution you need to subsidize audis bmws mercedes lexus toyota honda all those actual car manufacturers that people drive to have create easily rechargeable batteries batteries that charge faster focus on the equipment for that i think you need to have more money given to them for chip manufacturing but also for this thing i think the future is battery powered cars i just think that you need the infrastructure to do it the the problem with our current economy is you don't have that infrastructure. I can ease if I buy a sixty thousand dollar car, I don't want to worry about where I'm going to charge my vehicle, and that's why people that buy sixty thousand dollar cars are not buying electric vehicles apart from Tesla. And I think that's the thing here is that you have to look at it on that wide scope. And I argue that if you focused on subsidizing car manufacturers where people use and not focusing on all this wind turbine and all this stuff that no one's ever had in North Carolina even. Like, that's the way to the future. And I think that electric stuff will happen. I don't think it's because of climate change. I just think it's because that's just the way it is. Like, you're, everything is progressing to the next level, and that's the next level of vehicles. And you're going to move to a more modern future, but you have to create the infrastructure and the stability and the settings to move to that future. I don't see that happening in the next 10, 20 years. Somebody might disagree with me on that, but you need to subsidize the people that would move to that future over spending all this money on all this BS research and stuff because that's not going to do anything. The people that are going to actually do something are the economic players and uh, catalysts themselves. So yeah, Nick, but go, I, go now. I also, and, and Nick's probably going to disagree, I don't necessarily think you should de-incentivize those who are producing oil and gas and whatnot in the meantime. I just think you expedite the technology advancement and over time that's going to be what's we're going to hit a crucial point where an inflection point where it finally flips and turns. But I know an environmentalist would come back and say then it would be too late. Uh, but in my head, that would be the quickest way to ha have our cake and eat it, too. It's like so we get the oil and gas and all that production for relatively low cost now, but we're also speeding up the advancement of the technology that will help us move forward in the future to hopefully alleviate or maybe solve some of these problems. So I don't get what we're disagreeing on then, because that is the stance of the administration is that we need fossil fuels right now, but in the future we need to move away from them and that we're investing in the infrastructure critique that you railed on like electric vehicle charging networks throughout the country, which the Department of Transportation has this big fund that they're putting towards that. Other things like DOE's loan office program is actually funding companies directly on new technologies. They've got a lot of money around it. You actually have people who ended up working in oil and gas industry. For example, the head of the DOE's loan office right now is this guy, Jigar Shah, who started off at BP in the oil industry. And so it's just very interesting to me that I don't know. It kind of sounds like we all agree on this, which is that government should be doing more to incentivize uh, the technologies I, that, of tomorrow I disagree, and though. indirect yeah. loans to some of these companies that are have proven small scale technologies that they that they have. They've done their lab scale testing. They've done you know some smaller testing, some pilots, and now they're ready to get the next step of commercialization. And what should happen? Should they receive government funds for that for a technology that everyone wants and that the government's trying to incentivize? I think we're trying to move past that research and development phase that we've been stuck in for a long time, and we're starting to move towards commercialization. However, some of these companies need some seed capital. Some of these companies need money. And where are they getting the money from? 
In some cases, it's private equity investors, it's angel investors, it's whatever. But another part of that is the government can actually play a role in public-private partnerships to incentivize commercializing those technologies so that we actually have access to that. So that, Pratik, you wouldn't have to worry, for example, about buying your new car, about where you're going to charge it. Because ideally, you would have those charging networks throughout the country. And we all know that how highway funding works and how these get built out is through government in the first place with DOT. It's not the individual states themselves. A lot of this is leveraging federal funds. And you talk about wind stuff. Sure, I, I understand North Carolina, it's different. North Carolina, for example, would be looking at wind for offshore. Very different from the panhandle, Texas, Oklahoma, where wind, if you just drive along the highway, you see tons and tons of turbines. It's like a sea of turbines. It's ridiculous, actually. There's a lot of wind going on. Same thing in Iowa with Chuck Grassley, huge Republican. He's in favor of wind. He's also a big Republican. I, I don't think it's necessarily just along one political party. I think if it's good for your state, you will invest in it. And I think it would be good for the country overall. And so I'm glad to see the federal government putting some money that way. And I just think when it comes to this stuff, like I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon where oil, like the battery stuff is going to somehow take charge. I think it's going to be a gradual period of time. And that's the problem that I tend to have with Democrats on this policy is they just want to do stuff instantly. All right, let's ban fracking and then let's move to an electric power grid. The fact Who's is banning there's fracking this process. I mean, they talked about it whenever they were running in office. And the electric every power grid. Yeah, you burn natural gas and then every, you get electricity from it. But every single Democratic candidate argued about banning fracking and banning oil and natural gas, apart from Biden, maybe. But Biden was part of the same camp. Biden won. But my point is that like there is there is that argument, the conversation that does happen in the Democratic Party. All these bills are not focused towards building car manufacturers like Audi and BMW. They don't like those guys. They're taxing those people 15% more on tax. So then every single one of their franchise owners gets that tax levied on them. So every single Audi car dealership is going to end up paying more money because of the policies. But what I'm saying is that's a whole argument. That's a whole different argument. All I'm saying is that they need to refocus and reconfigure where their focus is. I think that they need to focus more on the actual economic catalyst. You need to focus more on the actual manufacturers, not on research, not on government incentives, about on focus on the actual players in the game. Give more money to those players, incentivize those players, make it so that they're more willing to make that investment. If you tax those people more, they're less willing to make that investment. If you make it more expensive for them to operate because you don't like oil and natural gas so it costs them more to do whatever their development is that's not incentivizing anybody you have to go by a step-by-step process so you're focusing on those players so you're helping those people win because unless you have those manufacturers on your side or unless you have those gas stations on your side unless you have those players that actually make an impact on how our economic transportation system works you're never getting anywhere and that's been the problem for the last 30 years of our country democrats have been fighting about this and including republicans in some cases ronald reagan was kind of like on the fence when it came to the climate like they've been fighting about this in places like california since the 1980s 1970s even but the fact is that you're in the same situation that you're in today as you were in the 1970s because their focus is all wrong that's all i'm saying let me give you one data point and then i would like to turn it back to tyler for his excellent takes and refocusing of the conversation so the one data point i'd like to give you pratik is that last month in july there was a 2.5 billion dollar loan issued to gm which is a huge manufacturing company. You say it's always Tesla. GM Government Motors. Company. Yeah. Yep. That's going to finance the construction of a new lithium-ion battery cell manufacturing facility. We're going to make things here in America. We're investing in the technology. And to your point, we're giving it to a proven manufacturer who has all these supply chains, has been doing this for a long time, and is going to make them in this country, not in another country. So... I don't know. I, I think we're talking past each other a little bit, but just wanted to offer that to say like there are some tangible investments being made and it's not just equity based, it's debt based. And so and that's US a good investment. Yeah, it is a good investment. I'm not, I'm not like criticizing that. that. I'm just saying that that's been the issue is that whenever you think of any of these policies that right. get plastic, But I'm telling you, we're doing this now. That. Yes, yeah. I agree. And in, in years past, that has been an issue of just talking about it and researching it more and not doing anything. What I'm saying to you is that with bills like this, it actually gives the funding 
to do the work that you actually want done that you've been talking about this whole time, which is actually happening right now, which is really exciting for the sector as a whole, I think. Well, here's the problem. I take the Ron Swanson approach where even if I agree with what they're doing, I just don't want them to do anything at all. And anytime I see a bill over a trillion dollars, I automatically disagree with it. But look, after this conversation, I honestly agree with a lot of the climate stuff. Doesn't mean I think we should be increasing the budget of the IRS by $200 billion. But hey, I guess we get to pick and choose nowadays. With that, though, I think that's coming to the close of our show. We did have some article talking about Biden, you know, it wasn't really a gaffe, and I want to uphold the gaffe standard of Politicana. So I think for that, we'll be delaying the gaffe till next week. This week, though, has all been focused around Trump. I don't think there's been anything about Biden even in the news from what I've watched in the news. Like, we don't know what Biden's even done this whole week. All we know is about this Mar-a-Lago FBI raid, and then they showed us a bunch of toilets on one of the channels for a little bit because they were talking about how Trump likes to uh, like shred information by throwing it in the toilet. And we're like, why doesn't he just use a paper shredder? It'd be so much more efficient. You know what? Tr Trump and Biden aren't that different. They both benefit when they're not in the news. And what I mean by that is when Trump's not on Twitter talking a lot of crap, getting into controversy, and Biden's just nowhere to be seen, you know, I think people are generally happier and things run smoother. But hey, that's not the world we live in. <laughs> anyways, anyways, with that, we're closing out Politicana 91. Thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. Later.